Welcome to Virtuoso, your story and sound Shangri-La. Entertaining stories that enhance your well-beingness and well-being. Please welcome your host, Trevor Joran. Welcome back to yet another new episode. Today I look into how Oxford historian Peter Frankopan followed his childhood obsession to rethink the way that we look at history through his book The Silk Road. I examine the artistry and the clever concepts behind Beyonce's thriving career as a top talent in the world of entertainment. And I spin the globe and land in the far off corner of Angola, a country on Africa's western coast. And finally, I interview my college bud, Kaysen, about the process of finding his voice in creating his lyric-focused album. Here's what you can expect in this episode. We'll have a quick mindful moment to bring us together. Today's theme is productivity. At 4 minutes and 45 seconds, I'll take us along the trade networks which connected the East and the West and give you an overview of the meaningful message in the Silk Roads book. Next, I'll talk a little about the wine I am sipping this episode, a single vineyard-focused production of Nickel and Nickel in Oakville, California. At 16 minutes, we'll have the sound portion where we'll discover what Beyonce has done with her decades in the limelight, and most excitingly, how she's bringing Africa forward with our Lion King partnership. Following that, we'll spin the globe and learn about a new location. This time, it's also in Africa, the coastal country of Angola. At 22 minutes, I'll interview Case and Sean and dive into what it's like to embark upon the three-year journey of producing his first album. Note, if you only want to listen to the interview for Friends of Kaysen, you can play that segment alone by going to the excerpt episode, which features just our conversation. And lastly, we have our concluding segment with the pennies and pounds notes. Enjoy the show! In today's mindful moment, my theme for discussion is productivity. In this sense, I am talking about efficiency. In other words, how do we sustain our focused attention on a clear intention? So let's breathe in through the nose, become your best, and breathe out through the mouth, forget the stress. As you breathe out through the mouth, just gently close your eyes, breathe in, and out. Don't worry if the mind is thinking, just let the mind ponder, and recognize the mind wanders, note that it has happened, and gently return. Breathe in. Picture in your mind clear intention, and breathe out, let it go. 
in and out very good all right now that we're all together let's bring the energy up and get the show started In today's story segment, I am talking about The Silk Roads, a book that was published in 2015 by the historian of the University of Oxford named Peter Frankopan. His childhood obsession led him to write a book that challenges the world to rethink our understanding of history. For Roberta and I, this was a book that allowed us to travel without ever leaving home all the while spanning vast amounts of territory and time. It had allowed us to reach intellectually beyond our horizons and into the previously unknown origin of civilization. This astonishingly well-researched book covers several continents and many centuries as it takes us along trade networks which connected the East and the West and formed the backbone for goods and ideas to spread from the shores of the Mediterranean to the furthest reaches of Asia. The name derived from the lucrative trade that silk had begun in the Han Dynasty and grew from the German word <laughs> Seidenstrass, which was coined in 1877 by the geographer Ferdinand von Richthofen. Boy, I cannot pronounce German. The commercial arteries played significant development roles for the civilizations of the Indian subcontinent, Europe, the Middle East, and the Far East, the Horn of Africa, and Arabia, just to name a few. While many goods were exchanged, so did ideas flow, spreading philosophies, sciences, technologies, and cultures across significant swaths of land. I think the meaningful message is that growing up, you know, I was taught that Western civilization is the result of the Romans, who were the heirs of the Greeks and who descended from the Egyptians. You know, I thought it would make sense that the Mediterranean deserves its literal name as the center of the world. But Peter's work challenged that view. He helped me to recalibrate my understanding of where our civilizations began. The clever concept here is how does one rewrite the history of the world? How does one refocus where the center of the world lies? Quite grand ambition is required to seek out this mighty task. And there is a story in Greek mythology that Zeus once released two eagles and ordered them to fly around different directions of the earth. And at the point in which they met, this would be known as the navel of the world. Omiphalos. The oracle town is known as Delphi, in the south of mainland Greece. But Peter argues that rather than somewhere in the Mediterranean, the true center of the world lies further to the east, in the land of Persia. And his deep amount of research found facts to support the theory, as he says that over two millennia ago, Chinese silks were worn, pottery was used, dishes were flavored with spices, 
all from thousands of miles away. The enlightened excerpt from the book is that his intention was to shine the light on the origin stories of Central Asia, as he writes, were the true engines of the world. As quoted directly from the book, Today, much attention is devoted to assessing the likely impact of rapid economic growth in China, where demand for luxury goods is forecast to quadruple in the next decade, or to considering social change in India, where more people have access to a mobile phone than to a flushing toilet. But neither offers the best vantage point to view the world's past and its present. In fact, for millennia, it was the region lying between the East and the West, linking Europe with the Pacific Ocean, that was the axis on which the globe spun. And I don't have direct quotes from the book. However, I do recall Peter writing about the interesting idea that the Buddha was given form as a direct result of the Greeks spreading their culture into the Indus Valley. Statues of the Buddha first started to be produced after Roman gods arrived. The brilliant blemish, or potentially fabulous flaw, about this whole concept here is that for all the beauty that traveled along the roads, there certainly was a fair share of despair, violence being a particular culprit as the Mongols wrecked havoc, the Slavs conquered, and the Europeans colonized. Also, the spread of disease, such as the plague, decimated thousands of lives. One may also argue that, for the need of brevity, this is an occasionally misrepresentative or lopsided viewpoint. However, with the full account of human history, we'd probably be reading forever. That being said, the author does take a particularly harsh style towards writing about the British and American empires, where he writes highly of most Asian legacies. As we conclude, if you're looking for a new perspective, one that focuses particularly on the Eastern empires, then this book will be right for you. And I'll finish off with these very fitting words. The Silk Roads are rising again. On today's Culinary Corner, I'm talking about Nickel and Nickel Winery. Driving down the highway through Oakville, on the right side of the road if you're coming from San Francisco, you'll see a collection of classic barns which shine charming ideas of hospitality and beckon you to join. You'll be happy that you did enter, for Nickel and Nickel Winery is one of the most prestigious single vineyard wineries in the valley. They have an exceptional dedication to understanding the land and the way they explain the different factors of the terroir can be a fabulous education for anyone. Often the difference in the soil just miles apart can lend its hand to creating dramatically different results. And when you go here, they help you to understand why. Roberta and I went along on a visit, and as we pulled in, horses grazed, and a lovely host came out to hand us a glass of single vineyard Chardonnay. She accompanied us, explaining the history and philosophy of the winery as we walked around the property, glancing at traditional stone buildings and state-of-the-art production facilities. Then we were in for quite a surprise. 
we walked beneath the earth into a 30,000 square foot cellar, beautifully appointed with rows and rows of French oak barrels, each representing a special vintage. Today I'm drinking a wine from the Carneros region, in particular the Truchard Vineyard, which is an excellent example of what can be produced with the cool air balancing the acidity and heightening the minerality of the Chardonnay, making them taste more like what you would expect from the old world than this hot California climate. Well-drained, gravelly loam soil has produced this wine, which is a zesty and alive, full but at the same time refined, tropical to the taste. This is a fresh touch of what breeze can do for this 270-acre vineyard. Absolutely delicious. I highly recommend dropping by Nickel and Nickel next time you're in Northern California. Today I spun the globe around and landed on the west coast of southern Africa in the country of Angola. The seventh largest country in the world is actually twice the size of Texas. It's quite interesting when you're looking at a map of Angola, there's actually a segment of the country which is separated by the Congo and the Democratic Republic of the Congo. In this province known as Kambinda, so this country actually is split by another country. This territory and nation-state has a large amount of ethnic groups, kingdoms, and tribes. The Portuguese colonized with coastal sediments, and then in the 19th century they began to establish themselves further, integrating into the interior. Even though the country gained independence from the Portuguese rule in 1975, after armed conflict for years, there is still a vast influence on the culture. Strolling through the capital of Luanda might feel more like a Latin American country, with restaurants and nightclubs and even carnival that harken back to Brazilian vibes more so than Africa. After emerging from decades of civil wars, Angola has risen. Its economy, built on the back of diamonds and oils, is among the fastest growing in the world. However, there is extreme wealth displacement, and harsh conditions are the reality for the vast majority of inhabitants. Pre-colonial culture is widely similar stretching across the country with only a few local variations, and the traditional common culture is still noticeable throughout. Outside of the city, where, you know, interior city mixed culture often emerges, outside you do have diverse ethnic groups. African roots are evident in the music, the dance, and the spoken language. The culture beats to the drum, and there are different specialty variations of this instrument throughout the country. Ivory, shells, copper, clay, and wood plus the human body, are how the Angolans demonstrate their artistic touch. Angola, interestingly, is the origin of the dreadlocks hairstyle. Hmm. Maybe one day I'll touch foot on the shores of this interesting country. Interesting country. In today's sound segment, I am talking about the queen bee. 
In short summary, in the ninth month of the year 1981, the world was gifted one of the greatest artists, Beyonce Knowles Carter. She was born in Texas, and over the next five decades, she would take the world by storm. The ex-president of Def Jam LA has described Beyonce as the greatest entertainer alive. She is the epitome of girl power. She rose to fame in the late 90s as the lead of Destiny's Child, and her career of strategic entertainment moves was just beginning. Let me just say right here that this girl is a huge inspiration for me. I mean, she is a multi-platinum artist, incredible fashion entrepreneur, a force to reckon with in film, and a voice for the betterment of humanity. You may know her from her film debut role in the box office number one film, Austin Powers and Goldmember, or from her first solo act to have their first six studio albums on the Billboard 100, or as the girl who coined, put a ring on it. Either way you slice it, she has sold over 100 million records worldwide, sported the title of top female artist of the decade, and has the most nominated woman in Grammy Awards history. This is one powerful female in the world of entertainment, and she has defined the decade with her innovative work. I think the meaningful message and enlightened excerpt behind her brand is the theme of female empowerment radiating throughout her work. She even sampled the speech, We Should All Be Feminists, by the Nigerian author Chimamanda for her song Flawless. She advocates for equal opportunities and for people to understand the double standards that persist throughout our society. She uses her platform to illuminate opportunity for change. This girl is a female boss, and I think she represents what women can do across the world if they put in the work. I was surprised to learn that at one point in Beyonce's career, she actually created an alter ego that would allow her to be that seductive and provocative persona on stage. Sasha Fierce represented the aggressive, strong, sassy, and sexy. Beyonce said, I'm not like her in real life at all. However, a few years later, Beyonce announced that she was comfortable with herself to no longer need Sasha Fierce. But I think this is a message that we can all benefit from. Sort of like, fake it till you make it, you know? The clever concept, for me, I mean, the reason that I am highlighting Beyonce is because of what she did recently with the Lion King production and her music surrounding the brilliant exhibition of what Africa can bring to the cultural corner. See, Beyonce was the voice of Nala on the 2019 remake of the Lion King, and she created a tie-in album, a sonic cinema, curated to echo the storyline of thematic premises of Disney's masterpiece. The visual album, Black is King, is her directorial and screenwriting debut, celebrating the black experience. It tells of a young African prince exiled from his kingdom. As he grows up, he goes through this journey of self-identity. He uses the guidance of his ancestors and his subconscious to reclaim his power and his throne. Now, this is a visual achievement unlike anything I have ever seen, and trust me, I've watched a lot of movies along the journey of developing as a playwright. I love her thorough work, and we are taken to locations such as Ghana and Nigeria with the most dazzling of designer fashion. Beyonce looks fabulous, and so does the rest of her crew. 
I read that hundreds of costumes were designed for this film and that Beyonce herself had 69, each with its own distinct personality and message. The costumes help people to see the beauty in brown skin and for people to research their heritage and to begin to stand from a sense of pride for where they belong in the world. Ackers, the costume curator, said that it's not just about creating a look, it's about how many families can benefit from that look. To see the waves that this has created has been a dream. According to the team, it was like traveling circus with new packages arriving on set daily and some straight off the runway. The styles in this film were made to showcase the different cultural traditions and tribes. For example, there's this one song, the outfits Beyonce and her entourage are wearing in Mood Forever were meant to represent the female military regiment from modern-day Benign, one of the most feared military groups on the planet. So, brilliant blemish or fabulous flaw, for all that Beyoncé has done incredibly well in her career, there is some controversy surrounding her overhyping her ability to write her songs, where she claims that she is the writer when in fact she's a co-writer or made marginal contributions. However, how much do people really care about the village of authors that work on building these albums? It's more likely it will sell well when people believe that the artist is everything. The Daily Beast Kevin Fallon said that all the industry's top artists create their music, today, by committee. And James Murphy of Vanity Fair said that Beyonce is who she is because she is able to create out of the words that are given to her, not because she's able to write such good parts. So in my perspective, her line said it best, my persuasion can build a nation. True words from the queen. Aloha. Today I have one of my greatest friends on the show, and it is a true honor to welcome Kaysen Sean, a musician, a polymath businessman, and an overall excellent person. So great. Welcome to the show, Kaysen. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Trevor. It's a, it's a pleasure to, uh, to be on here. So today I would love to dive into your musical journey, but I would have a hard time going into any conversation without you if we don't recall our good old days of college. I remember you graduating with uh, distinction from our business school. We had some excellent memories back then, didn't we? <laughs> yes, Matt. Oh, absolutely. College was was the best time for sure. Um, yeah, our, our, our group of bros, we were inseparable. You know, I, I think my favorite memories and the ones that really stand out the most are just all of like our house party, extracurricular activities, just getting together, like whether it was a weekend or a Tuesday evening after class, it didn't really matter the day, you know, whether we're going over to your, yours and Joey's place across the street from the college or, you know, over to Ted's apartment up the road, whatever it was, just like getting together with the, the bros um, having a few beers, hanging out. That was, those are the, the most distinct memories for me. Absolutely were. I, I think back on those, uh, free times and always have a big smile. I wonder 
how you feel about investing so much time into a business education and then pursuing music nowadays. You, do you wish that you could potentially reverse the clock and dive into music on a more, in a more educational sense back in university days? Or are you happy with the path that you chose? Yeah, I, I think about that a lot, um, especially every month when I'm paying my student loans. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not so sure. I, college was, I mean, our experience at Westminster was it was incredible. I definitely think it was worth it. I'm very glad that I did that. Um, the business degree itself, I'm not so sure that what I learned um, has really like helped me in life at all. Um, other than the fact that just having a degree on my resume has helped me get some good jobs, I suppose. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would have pursued music necessarily in school either. Um, I really enjoy making music. It's one of my greatest passions. It's not necessarily something I want to cons- think of as a career, though. I don't really consider it a career. Um, I like my day job. I'm really happy doing what I do for work. Um, and I like music as a passion. If I was able to blow up as a musical artist organically and uh, make a, a full-time living doing that, I wouldn't be mad about it for sure. Um, but I would want it to happen organically. I'm, I'm not so sure I'd want to just be sitting in a recording studio um, as an engineer or, or something um, because I got a degree in that field. Sure, sure. So you're happy with the way that it worked out. You know, I think that college, it taught us how to think. I believe more value came from learning how to balance our workload, learning how to just work through the classes. And I think that was the heart of the educational value. Yeah, I would agree. And the social value was probably, I mean, the the amount of money I spent on that degree was worth it because of the social value, honestly, um, mm-hmm. the college experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know if we, could you imagine if we were where we are now and, and didn't have that experience, I feel like there'd be some black hole missing in the uh, the fabric of our life. <laughs> absolutely life would be so different like i can't even imagine how different everything would be without that four-year block of time sure absolutely so i guess even though neither one of us are playing on all of the facets of our education on a daily basis we still uh, see a lot of light and um worth in that that four-year span of time yeah yeah absolutely all right. So the questions that I, I'm real curious to ask you about today on the show are, uh, what are you learning about now? What's, uh, yeah, you know, that's a, past- that's a perfectly timed question mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I have, so, um, as you know, just released my, uh, my first album as a musical artist, uh, today, actually, as the time that we're recording this, um, I've always been kind of a do-it-yourselfer with my music. Mm-hmm. One thing mm-hmm. that I, you know, from the very beginning, I've loved writing um, and just ma- writing lyrics and making songs, but I never really knew how to go about recording and mixing and mastering and all that. So I've learned it all myself. Um, and at the beginning, I basically just learned the bare minimums. Like, what do I have to do to be able to get a song on YouTube recorded? I don't care how it sounds. Like, that's all I wanted to do at the very beginning. And then as I started to take my music more seriously, I would hear my songs next to a professionally mastered song on Spotify or something. And it would just drive me nuts that it did not sound 
the same quality. Mm. So mm. what I've been learning a lot um, during this two, three year journey of creating this album is the um, techniques of sound engineering, mixing and mastering. Uh, it's been quite a process. It's quite a journey. Um, I've just learned everything of, on my own off of blogs, um, online, watching YouTube videos, trial and error, and just fiddling with things to make sure that my, you know, to get my songs to sound like the reference tracks that I listen to on Spotify by, you know, A-list artists. So, um, wow, yeah, that's, that's incredible. what I've been learning. What a journey. What a journey. So you taught yourself how to make it sound professional. And that took two or three years to to kind of comprehend and grasp and then implement? Yeah, yeah, probably a little bit more because yeah, I've been fiddling with mixing and mastering for a long time. And I, I don't know that necessarily my songs still quite sound, you know, identical to a professionally mastered song that's recorded in like an A-list studio, but pretty close. And I think the average listener probably can't notice a huge difference. Mm. So tell me about your latest album that you came out with and maybe what, what was the concept that you were hoping for with this last production? Yeah. Um, like I said, two or three years in the making on this, I, I originally announced that it was going to be out last fall, 2019. Um, and that obviously didn't happen. Uh, again, uh, just a lot of trying to figure out how to make it sound right. Um, uh, a lot of the songs that I had written lyrics for, I kind of just, lost excitement about I, they weren't good enough whatever it may be so i scrapped a lot of things that i've had already written and recorded it was really quite a journey to find a collection of songs that i really liked and i could be proud of but that also kind of all fit the the vibe and the message um mm -hmm. there's not really one necessarily cohesive message for the whole album the album's titled good mood and it's kind of a it's kind of a play on words in a way that um it starts off with a little bit of mood music. There's a couple kind of sensual romantic songs at the beginning. I address kind of some mental health things that I've gone through, you know, as a human being, things that everybody kind of experiences at some point or another, anxiety, a little bit of depression, nothing too crazy, but just things that a lot of people don't really talk about in music, mm. I don't think, mm. and maybe aren't, aren't comfortable talking about and being open about. So I address some of those things as well and then it kind of finishes off with a bang the last few tracks are very lyrical and competitive uh, in a you know kind of hip-hop sense where i'm you know, talking a lot of shit um, <laughs> and just you know I'm, I'm flexing a little bit because i think i'm i really do think that i'm a great lyricist when it comes to writing raps. Oh, yes um, i agree i mean your lyrical talent is unsurpassed you are fantastic. I can't wait till you get organically discovered because you've got this skill set. No doubt in my mind about that. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. Can we talk about your voice? I want to know as an artist how you developed your sound and what that journey has been like for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some of my biggest influences, to name a few, Eminem has always been one of my favorite artists. Um, Royce to five nine, Black Thought, the lead vocalist from The Roots, Great Common, Excellent, a lot yeah. of those kind of lyric, really lyrical kind of backpacker rappers, Lupe Fiasco. I, mean, I, I could name a bunch, but those are some oh, of my biggest influences. Lupe from the is beginning. incredible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He really is. He's he's a a genius with words. Uh, all mm -hmm. those guys are 
Mm-hmm, totally. And those are the ones who've inspired me the most, I think. But more recently, I've gotten some more kind of outside influences from other artists I've really enjoyed, like The Weeknd, Wale, mm-hmm. um, St. John. Artists that have a really unique style. They sing a lot. They do some things that I'm not necessarily capable of. Like I've tried singing, man. I've tried. I've, I wrote a whole song that was inspired by The Weeknd just because I was listening to him a lot. Tried singing it. It just doesn't, you know, it doesn't come out the way I pictured it in my mind. So obviously that song's never getting released because I cannot sing that well. Um, but I've taken a lot of influences from those guys as well and tried to mix that style into my music along with that uh, lyrical kind of harder style from those other guys. Um, and I think I'm producing a, kind of a unique sound in that sense. I, I think that, you know, singing is an interesting thing because a lot of people would feel... Um feel scared but i believe that it's an instrument that you can develop and you know work on it and uh, that trait can be enhanced through through practice i i see where you're going with that and your your blessing is really with the pen and so you just got to keep working on those clever lyrics uh, you know what are you happiest about um today uh, just launching your latest project and you know also in life in general what what makes you happy nowadays yeah, definitely happy to to finally have that project out. Um, it's been it's been exciting and stressful at the same time. So um, that's uh, one one major thing that I'm happy about today. Um, but yeah, aside from music, um, things that are making me happy just well, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I really miss going to the gym. Um, mm. So I've been mm. hiking a lot, trying to trying to get outdoors, playing with my dog Kevin, spending time mm-hmm. with the wife. You know, doing everything I can do while the whole the whole world is uh, shut down. But uh, happiness is a choice. So just trying to uh, find happiness in everything that I can uh, these days. Yeah. So if you could be doing anything today um, to celebrate your your latest release, what would you want to do? Say COVID wasn't around. I'm going to give you two answers for that one. One, I'd be at the gym. I'm. I really miss it. I was, you know, I was there every day. So that was a big part of my life to go work out and just clear my head. Um, mm. But aside from that, number two, I would, I would perform. That's what I'd be doing today. If I could do anything, I really miss performing, putting on shows and events. Um, I was performing a lot before COVID hit and the lockdown. I, I did probably six or seven shows in the last, you know, three or four months before the lockdown ended. I was really getting comfortable on stage and just loving mm. performing. And that's mm. what I would do today if I could do anything. Mm. What was it like the first time you stepped on stage compared to, say, the seventh or eighth? Man, it was nuts. The very first time I ever performed actually was in high school. Um, <laughs> I've been writing raps and kind of dabbling in rap for a long time and uh, started in, in probably middle school. I was not that good. I look back at some of my old high school reps and a little bit embarrassed that I even put those out or performed those. But hey, you know, everyone has a starting point. Yeah. My first performance in high school, stepped out on stage in front of all my peers, um, 400 people maybe. I was extremely nervous. But I mean, it is once you get going, I still get nervous. You know, every performance I do, I, I, I'm nervous at the beginning, got some butterflies. But once you get going, there is no feeling like it, especially mm. when the crowd is really vibing and, you know, cheering you on and loving the performance. It's so energizing. Um, 
I, yeah, I can't compare it to anything. That's incredible. I mean, you feel some sort of flow, like you are uh, being lifted by the energy of the room and uh, totally in the moment. Huh? That's neat. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Case. I look forward to your upcoming musical productions. I look forward to the success of your latest album. And I can't wait to see how music continues to influence your life. I appreciate you coming on the show today and talking about your journey as an artist. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, man. It's been awesome. It has. So if people want to uh, find your music online, can you give them a little direction to where they should go? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so my artist name is Kaysen Sean, K-A-S-E-N-S-H-A-W-N. Find me on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, pretty much anywhere where you can find music. Uh, just mm-hmm. search my artist name and and I'll be there. You can follow me on Instagram as well, at Kaysen Sean. That's where I'm most active on social media. All right, great. Thank you so much. We'll look into those links. Appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Case. Awesome. In today's Pennies and Pounds, I talk about money and I talk about old. How about money, you ask? Well, gold will laboreth diligently for the owner who finds a profitable employment and invests it under sage advice. However, gold slippeth away from the man who invested it in purposes which he is not familiar with or tries to force it to impossible earnings following the allure of schemers. You know, personally, I'm thinking a lot about this right now with the whole cryptocurrency investment. Pursue long-term vision, my friends, rather than short-term opportunism. And for goodness sake, pay yourself first. You can't fill the cups of others until you have one that runneth over. See, money is a commodity. It is a tool. It helps us purchase goods. It holds no intrinsic value. Therefore, money should not come before your health, your family, your love, or the pursuit of happiness. Money should never be the sole goal of any career or endeavor. Granted, money is necessary. Because of its importance, one should not take it out of the picture. But the point is, it should never become the picture. When thinking of investments, look for the ones with the highest return. The most successful and disciplined investors Shoot for a minimum risk-reward ratio of 3 to 1 or 4 to 1. Say you risk 5,000 and you stand to make 15 or 20. That is solid numbers. Seneca said it is not the man who has too little, but the man who craves more that is poor. In pounds, I want to consider exploring consciously, you know, one breath at a time, and moving with stability and ease along the path towards a deeper, more self-transforming practice. Have you ever heard of Om? In some expressions of Hinduism, the letter A represents creation, issuing from Brahma's essence. U, the preservation of balance, and the word. As the god Vishnu balances Brahma overhead on a lotus flower. And the M, the completion of the cycle of existence when Vishnu falls asleep and all existing things dissolve in their essence. 
There's a lot of beauty in that word, om. And with repet repetition of the mantra, it can help you to tune in and move towards a deeper practice. Om. Well, in conclusion, to my listeners, I want to thank you for spending this time with me. It's hard work putting these shows together, but knowing that you are out there being engaged, entertained, and enhanced by the Virtuoso Show makes it all worth it to me. I'm glad that we are able to spend time together every few weeks. If you love what I'm doing and you want to support me, please go to treversthoughts.com and sign up for my email. Alternatively, you can shoot me a quick message at muse at treversthoughts.com. That's M-U-S-E, like the Greek muses. I'll send you an email back and we can begin our relationship from there. Keep an eye out for the next episode, which is dropping on May 1st. Okay, if you need a reminder, if that's quite some time in the distance and you may forget, just go ahead and sign up for the newsletter and I'll remind you when the time is right. Thanks again, and I look forward to our next show together.